Good morning church. This morning's Bible reading is from Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 to 9. Paul is writing to believers in the Roman province of Galatia which is in modern Turkey and it's a time when the early church is struggling as to whether the message of Jesus means following Jewish law. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to St. Stephen's. My name is Prash. I'm the senior minister. Of, uh, a warm welcome, especially if you're, um, you're joining us for the first time. Maybe uh, you found us online or someone sent you the link. Great to have you at church with us. You've joined us at a great time. It's the start of a new series. I've been on holidays for a couple of weeks. And um, I've got to say, lockdown holidays are better than I expected, actually. They're great. Uh, but it is good to be back, and it's good to be back, of course, because uh, we're coming out of lockdown tomorrow, and church will be back soon. What church coming back uh, will look like will is, is yet to be formalised, really. One of the ways we're going about thinking and planning for a return of church is a survey. A lot of churches have done this. This is not revolutionary. Uh, there's a survey that was sent out in our weekly email to parishioners. Now, if you would um, like to have a say, you'd like to have what you think about that survey uh, considered, can you, um, can you make sure that you fill out that survey before the end of tonight? Because tomorrow in our staff team, we're actually going to spend some time kind of mapping out the next couple of weeks in the lead-up to the return to in-person services. And we'd love to factor in your your reflections and thoughts. It's a very short survey. It's like four questions, five questions. So we'd love to hear from you. There's an opportunity for comments as well in the survey. Now, before we, uh, we, we get into this uh, new series on the old, New Testament letter of Galatians, let me pray for us that God would help us reflect on his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to our hearts and minds this morning and show us the Lord Jesus Christ and make us more like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our title for our series this morning, uh, this, this week, is this term is uh, Christianity, a joyful spirituality. There's a question mark after it. 
And it's a question because I actually want us to think about whether or not it is legitimate to say that the Christian faith is a faith that results in joy. Does it result in joy? I think that's something that we really want to. Here's my question to you as we start that, though. What are the things that you need to hold on to to be joyful? What are the things you need to hold on to to be joyful? Uh, it might be family. I mean, if you're a single person who's been in lockdown, family or friends, those close relationships, you're, you, you've become acutely aware of their importance in life. Uh, but conversely, if you are a family, it might be something like me time, leisure time. That might be important, a thing that you really want to hold on to if you want your life to be joyful. Other people might say financial security, material prosperity are necessary to hold on to for a joyful life. Now, of course, even as I mention all of those things, there's probably some level of truth to them. I'm not really going to speak to them particularly this morning, but I, we do have a sense that there's a sense of they're slightly narcissistic. That's maybe a harsh way of putting it, but they're very self-focused concepts of joy. When we turn to the book of the letter of Galatians, written by Paul, Paul actually will make an ex- astonishing claim later in the letter, Galatians 5, verse, two, uh, verse 22, that one of the great fruits of the Christian faith is joy. He'll say, actually, the Christian faith, his contention is that Christianity is absolutely a spirituality of joy, a spirituality of joy. But he will say at the start, actually, the foundation for joy is guarding what? He says, guarding the gospel, guarding the message of Christ. And in verse 6 of our reading this morning, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. What's really interesting about verse 6 is that normally in Paul's letters, and certainly it's true of other contemporary letters at his time, that the, the pattern was you'd do it a greeting, you introduce yourself, you introduce who you're speaking to, and then you'd actually launch into a time of thanksgiving for, this, for the group of people. That's, that's certainly the pattern of Paul's other letters. But in Galatians, that doesn't happen. Paul has a sense of urgency. He gets straight to the point because... He sees this as a crucial thing that needs to be set out from the start. Don't leave the gospel behind. Don't go to the different gospel, he says. Do not leave the gospel. The gospel, this message, is of absolute importance. And if you change it, if you tweak it, if you leave it behind, then you've left the foundation of the Christian faith behind. You've left the foundation of joy behind. So Paul says actually holding on to the gospel, guarding the gospel is the key. Uh, and I think if, if you if you to take that, it's true personally, it's true corporately too. Here's what one author says, says, gospel clarity is key. A church that loses the gospel cannot experience true life or health. Cannot experience true life or health. Now the question, of course, is what is the gospel? What is it that Paul's talking about? You might have heard that word before if you've come to church or you've listened online to us or other people. What is Paul actually talking about? Pippi gave us a general definition of the, of the gospel in her um, spotlight segment earlier, but Paul actually spells out the gospel in Galatians chapter 1 because he wants us to have no doubt about what he means. And so in verses 3 to 5, he says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins 
to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you might think to yourself, oh my gosh, that's a long, sen- that's a long sentence. Let me break it down for you, because I think there's basically three components to the gospel that Paul is talking about, the, the, the message that Paul is talking about. Now, gospel, by the way, is, is a word for good news. It could be translated good news. In Greek, the word euangelion was normally referring to a message of extraordinary news that someone brought. That's what Paul's saying. This message, this news, is basically three components. You see them on the screen there in front of you. First of all, uh, let, me, let me just go to the second highlighted component, our sins to rescue us. You know, he gave himself for our sins to rescue us. The gospel is an offer to deal with human sin, to rescue us from our sin. How? By giving himself, by a divine sacrifice, so that there would be eternal praise for, to be glory forever and ever. Uh, in other words, the gospel is an offer, an offer to deal with human sinfulness, through divine sacrifice, for the sake of eternal praise, for the sake of eternal praise. That's the gospel in its kind of most basic form. That's the, that's the thing that Paul is calling us to hold to, to be absolutely committed to. Now, I want to ask you, those other things that you said you might need for a joyful life, do you, do you guard the gospel like that? Do you say, whatever comes... In my life, I will hold to this central conviction that I am sinful, I need rescue, and God has through his, his own sacrifice given himself so that I might be praising him eternally. That's the challenge that Paul's laying before us. Now, why is guarding this message so essential? Why do we need to guard it? Why, why, use, why be so urgent about it, but so deliberate about it in Galatians? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons that we need to do it. First of all, I think because of the uniqueness of this message as opposed to every other message that we receive, every other truth, so to speak, that we hear. This truth is unique. I was watching a reality TV show recently and one of the contestants, I mean, they always love their drama, don't they, in reality. Conflict is is the key to a good story in reality TV. And one of the contestants broke the rules or certainly broke the... Uh, spirit of the rules. And what's really interesting is as they recounted their events, their, their telling of the events, um, they called it my truth. Now, all the other contestants had a slightly different take on the events, uh, but this contestant kept holding to the word my truth. In fact, the other contestants rightly asked the question, what's the difference between my truth and the truth? My truth. But I think... As this person kept, they kept using this phrase, this is my truth, this is my truth. What they were speaking to is a, a, a mindset, a worldview, which more and more we inhabit, which says that each person has access to a different sense of the truth. And in part, that's correct. When I tell you something is true, there are, I hope, things about that which are objectively true, but there are also things which are fundamentally shaped by my own perception of events, my own understanding of events, limited as it is. And so, in a sense, there is a sense that that is my truth, or at least my take on the truth. Now, people often have this problem with Paul's teaching, or the teaching of the New Testament, or the Bible generally. 
They'll say, oh, well, Paul was a broken person just like me. And so there's certain parts of Paul's teaching which I can't accept. Now, Paul says, no, no, no. His teaching is different. Not because it's his teaching, interestingly. So he says, the gospel is unique. And uh, in verse 1, the very first verse, Paul is at pains to point this out. He introduces him, says, Paul, an apostle, that's a messenger, sent not from men, nor by a man. In other words, his, his message, his commission, is not from people. It's not a human message, but it is who from whom? Jesus Christ and God the Father. And then he goes on to remind us that Christ is the risen one. He's unique, and his message is unique. You see, what is the gospel is not Paul's message. Paul is a witness, and the gospel is a witness to Christ's message. Paul is passing on Christ's message. Now, Paul is in a very unique position to me. I'm not a witness to Christ's message. I'm a witness to Paul, who is a witness to Christ's message. But Paul is a witness to Christ. He met Jesus. He learnt, and he was taught by Jesus. He heard Jesus speak to him. And so Paul witnesses to this message from Jesus. So unlike other truths, this is a truth from Christ himself. So we guard it because it's unique. It's a unique message. We also need to guard it, though. We're also called to guard it because our inclination is actually to turn to other messages. Let me go back to verse 6 again, that verse that we talked about at the start. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, we, we don't just forget the gospel. We don't have, it's not like, oh, the people for who, who need to guard the gospel more closely are the 70, 80, 90-year-olds because they might have been Christians for 60 years and they've forgotten it over the course of time. No, no. Actually, we turn from the gospel. We make a decision to listen to another message, says Paul. We don't just forget it, we turn to it, something else. And we do it quickly, do you notice? I mean, he's talking to believers who are maybe four or five years old in their Christian faith. And already they've shown a tendency to turn and listen to another thing. This is such a challenge, you see. The, the call to hear, believe and hold on to the gospel is not just a message to those of you out there who are still exploring the Christian faith. It's a message to those of us who've accepted the faith that we are to hold on to it because we actually have a tendency to hear another message. Why is that? Why do we have a tendency to hear and turn to another message? I think it's actually partly because of the very nature of the gospel message itself. See, the gospel, though it is good news, forces us to come to terms with hard truths, with difficult truths. The gospel says to us, you're actually sinful and you're broken. Look at verse 4. He says, The gospel is the message that Christ gave himself for our sins, to rescue us. The first component of the gospel is willingness to accept human sinfulness, personal sinfulness, personal brokenness, that we are not all we are. Now you compare that gospel message to the other kind of gospel messages, the other messages you might hear out there. The messages say, you are perfect the way you are. Or you can do anything you put your mind to. Perhaps someone said that to you. Perhaps you've said that to someone. You are perfect the way you are. You can do anything you put your mind to. 
I can almost hear the words coming, off my, coming out of my own mouth to my children. Those are the other messages out there. Now you compare that to the gospel, which is you are broken and sinful. And you need rescue. You need help. See, I think sometimes we turn away from that, we hear that other message. But, but the gospel is saying, no, we start from a place of brokenness, of sinfulness. You know, the problem, I mean, the problem with those other messages, we know deep down they're not true, don't we? We know they're not true. We know that we're not perfect the way we are. And we know that even if we put our whole mind and heart to some things, they just don't happen the way we long for them to. And actually, the problem with those messages, they're actually a, they're a burden, they're a yoke around us. They weigh us down because they leave us with such an expectation of being able to achieve things which are beyond us. And we're, we're, we're enslaved by those expectations. But the gospel is actually truth. It's real truth. And you know how you know whether someone has not left behind this part of the gospel? You see it in their prayers because their prayers are marked by confession and repentance. You know, someone who hasn't left the gospel behind is someone whose prayers are start and are filled with confession and repentance. If we throw ourselves into our prayer life and our prayer life is all about asking for stuff from God, we're treating God like an equal or worse still, like some kind of cosmic PA, someone who's there to do our job who's there to serve us and do things for us, who we rule over. And yet the reality of the gospel is that you and I are miserable, spiritually speaking, miserable beggars before the Lord. Miserable beggars. We are not in a place to ask first, but to confess first. Now you might be with me. You might say to, you might say to me, well, okay, yep, I get it. We guard this gospel, and this is what the gospel is. It starts with confession. It starts with a sense of sinfulness. But if that's the gospel, if the gospel has its heart that humanity is sinful and broken, then you might have won the battle, but you've lost the war because that is not a spirituality of joy at all. It's a spirituality of slavery, isn't it? Isn't that a spirituality of a crushing, a crushing self-destruction? I want, to, I want to say to you, Absolutely not. You see, because confession, the wonder of confession, the wonder of coming to terms with our brokenness, our sinfulness, is it actually opens us up to the richness of the gospel. Because when we start to see how low we are, we see to start to see how high God's grace, kindness and mercy is. We're opened up not just to the reality of God existing, but the very character of God himself. You see what Paul says in... Uh, in chapter 4 again. Surrounded by this understanding of ourselves is the truth of who God is. He's the one who gave himself. The gospel is that in response to our sinfulness, our rejection, our rebellion, our brokenness, we don't like that word sin, but in response to it, Christ gave himself. He willingly went to the cross. And it's not just Jesus. This was part of the will of the Father. You know, the extraordinary, the extraordinary truth is that the, the real and remarkable love of the triune God is on offer, is on offer for sinful people. You know, God is not a CEO who gives his spare chains to philanthropy. No, he is the prince who gives up his realm for you. He gives himself willingly, willingly. And of course, the emphasis is on giving here. He gives it. He does not you do not have to earn it. 
You don't have to earn it. The gospel is an offer to receive something rather than to earn it. And, and when we start to see ourselves as broken and, and spiritually bankrupt, we start to realize it cannot be a message about earning. It must be a message about receiving. You think about the cross. If you know the account of the cross of Christ, his crucifixion moments, there he is. He's purchasing our forgiveness with his own body, through his own sufferings. And who does he hand out his forgiveness to first? You think about the story. Who is the first person he offers forgiveness to? It's to the criminal who's been crucified next to him. To a criminal, to a murderer. He says to that man, Today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, once you're willing to hang, hang your, your self-respect, hang your achievements, hang them up on the cross and bear, your, bear the responsibility for your sin and say, yes, I'm a sinner, and then hand it over to Jesus, Jesus is willing to hand over his forgiveness to you. That's grace. That's the gospel. That's the wonder of it. And, you know, we need to guard that. We need to guard that. We need to guard against the temptation to think that we can actually do what's necessary. And we also need to guard against the temptation that God is not willing to do what is necessary because the gospel speaks against both of those lies. The gospel says you cannot do enough, but God has done more than enough. The gospel says you are more sinful than you realize but more loved than you deserve. That's the gospel. And you guard against that by pouring yourself into the scriptures, by having them testify this message to your heart over and over again, a message that speaks against the messages of the world. You read the scriptures over and over. You're in the Bible. You're devouring it. You're living in it day by day, week by week, hour by hour. It's part of your life. We want to help you with that again this term. So we've opened up our weekly devotions again. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'll have devotions dropping at 3 o'clock on our website. Uh, tune in. Read along with us. We're reading the book of Acts this term. Read with us and be reminded of the truth of the gospel. You know, to the extent that you believe the gospel, you're willing to take up the offer of that divine sacrifice for our sin. You see what Paul says happens? You get grace and you get peace. You get an assurance that you're okay with God, that he loves you. He loves you in spite of your true self. You get an assurance of that. And also Paul says, he, he talks about praises, says to him be glory forever and ever. He's, he's meditating both on the praise that comes into our life as we accept the gospel now, but also the praise we'll be drawn into that last day when everyone will praise God, either in whimpers or in rejoicing. And if you accept the gospel, you're drawn into a praise of rejoicing. Rejoicing before the Lord. Rejoicing. I don't know if you've ever been to a football stadium or a sporting event and you sat amongst the home team and they're in full throes of cheering. Maybe it's, you've been lucky enough to be at Anfield and sit amongst Liverpool supporters as they sing, you'll never walk alone. And in that moment, as, as everyone's singing and you're part of them, as everyone's cheering and you're part of them, it's not about you. It's not even about them. It's about the team, right? It's this moment of great joy. Now, when, you, when we are drawn finally, because of the gospel, into that moment of praise, eternal praise, at the end point of the gospel, it's about God. 
And that's deeply joyful. And that's the kind of joy we really want, isn't it? It's joy with not a hint of narcissism. It's joy unadulterated, pure joy, given to us, not earned. Joy that's true, real, and eternal. And I want to invite you into that. I think that's why Christianity genuinely is a spirituality of joy. And I think as we reflect on the gospel, we're going to see that more and more over this coming turn. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the extraordinary news that in spite of how how spiritually bankrupt we are, you have responded, you offer to respond to us with grace, mercy, and personal, personally costly kindness in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, would you help us to both accept who, who we are in and of ourselves and who you treat us as, and thereby find the great joy and assurance of the gospel that we are deeply loved despite all of our failings. And we are on track for a moment of great eternal praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.